How many of you have seen the Truman Show? How many of you feel like sometimes you're living in the Truman Show? All right. Last week, we, uh, we had a uh, good topic, a tough topic, talking about generosity. Our goal through this series is to be exploring what are some of the blind spots that we may have and what are some of the ways that we need to be focused on where we're headed in life. Uh, a lot of our faith and a lot of what it means to grow as a believer is dependent upon where our eyes are looking and where our thoughts are centered. And a lot of times when we let those wander, they have all kinds of effects on us that we're not necessarily paying attention to. The reason I wanted to show this clip is it's really an interesting uh, dichotomy between Truman and the director. Truman, who has no privacy, who is just exposed to whatever they choose to expose him to, and then the director, who has a great amount of privacy, and as you heard the interviewer say, we know that that's important to you, and, and we want to respect that, even though that is not then transferred on to Truman. In this show, what we find, is you, if you watch the movie, is you'll find that Truman is a character who was born and placed in a TV show. It's the ultimate reality TV show. Everything that happens in his world is not real. It's fake. It's, it's not what's actually happening outside of those walls. And as he ages throughout the movie, what we watch as Truman grows and his understanding begins to change is that he finds that the direction of his life does not need to be determined by someone else. And he begins to fight against this false reality that he has been faced with his entire life. The idea for blind spots is that there are some things that we struggle with that we may not even recognize. There are also things that we expose ourselves to that they can have terrible consequences. But if we're not paying attention, they can overtake our lives. And as Truman was not in control of where he was going in his life, there are things in this world that can take control from where God wants us to go. And instead, it gets us off course. So as we go through today... I hope that you will uh, think through some of the priorities of your life as I think through some of the priorities of mine. And as you think through what are the ways that we expose ourselves to things that just aren't healthy for us. If you're watching TV at all today, you know, there's all kinds of unhealthy things on TV. If you're watching the news, sometimes uh, what we see on the news cycles is worse than what we see just in regular programming. But the reality is, is that if we are not aware of what's going into our brains, we're also not aware of how our brains are being shaped. We're not aware of the motives that are quietly coming in. And while we may think as followers of Jesus, we, are, we know where we're headed. We know what we're doing. We know what's important to us. It may be that those things that we think that we are on top of, we may be missing to a degree. Uh, before I move on, I just want to say thank you. To everybody that participated in our mega event yesterday, our car meet, block party, trunk or treat. Uh, we still got some candy left. I had a lot of fun. How many of you had fun yesterday? Kids had fun. And uh, I just want to say thank you. If you brought stuff for that, uh, that is huge. If you served uh, and so many of you just jumped in and started serving in different places, thank you for doing that. Uh, for those of you who invited somebody to come with you, shared the Facebook event or, or Facebook post or told anybody you worked with, hey, you need to come and hang out with us. Thank you for doing that. I mean, that is the, the goal of this event. While we had a lot of fun and there were some really nice cars, I hope we didn't get anybody in trouble with looking at those cars who are now went home and looked on Auto Trader or Craigslist or whatever. You're thinking you're going to need one of those yourselves. But uh, for everybody that brought a car and uh, we just thank you for that. Interacting between all the different groups of people, we had more people on uh, our campus than we have ever had that don't know each other. And uh, so thank you for all of you who participated. It was a lot of fun, and we're definitely going to do some more events like that again. Um, we went home, some of us, to some bad news. Or went home and watched some bad news unfold on television. And uh, I was just watching the Tennessee game, and... Then I watched the Florida State Clemson game, and I just thought I, it just occurred to me how many sad fans there are across our nation. Um, and you know what? It, and and I don't I don't try to over spiritualize stuff, but uh, I, it just occurred to me. I'm thankful that in one area of my life, I'm not going to be a sad fan. 
Everything that Jesus says is going to work out is going to work out that way, and we don't have to wait and wonder from week to week if he's going to win. So we're thankful that uh, even if we didn't win in football, we're going to end in life. We're going to end well. So we are excited about that. Whenever we become Christians, one of the things that must change in us has to be our worldview. The way we see the world, the way we see what's going on around us, it has to change. Within the way that we see ourselves, we can no longer be the center of our story. We can no longer be the people that determine how we want the world to go. At some level, our worldview has to change. And some of those most basic ways that our worldview changes as a Christian is we we do see ourselves differently. Not as the most important person in the world, but instead we see ourselves as broken sinners who are in need of a Savior. When you truly grasp that concept... It changes the way you see the entire world. Because we no longer see it through these eyes that I am the most important person in the room. Instead, we see it through the lens that I am in great need. The way our worldview also changes is we begin to see that while we are broken and sinners, we are involved in a reality that much of us have tried to ignore. And that is that God is real. He did create all of this. Jesus did walk the earth. And thankfully, his love for us was so enormous that he sent his son to die because of those sins that we have. That changes our worldview. We're no longer dependent on ourselves. We have now become dependent on God and what he does. And when we shift in that way, our worldview changes from what do I want in this world to I now belong to him. What does he want in this world? Then our priorities must shift. And as our priorities shift... Our behaviors and our actions shift. Now, what I know about probably most of you is that most of you do not sit around and just daydream about this kind of stuff. Not because you're not spiritual, not because this isn't important to you, but because you have a billion things going on in your mind at any one time. Right now, you're probably trying to listen while also thinking about what you need to do the rest of today, what's coming up this next week. And my guess is you're, for some of you, just happy to sit down for a little while. Just rest. Just take a break. For all of us, we need those times, but we have to be aware of what is influencing us in this new reality that we find ourselves, that God is king, that we need him, that he gave his son so that we could have life, and that our purpose in this world has changed from me getting everything I can possibly get to fulfilling the role that God has for me in this world. Our worldview changes. And as our worldview changes, it changes everything that we do with our time. Now, if you're like us, Deidre and I, our most common conversation has to do with scheduling. Does anybody else have that issue in their household? Our most common conversation is scheduling. Who's got the kids doing this this week? Who's got them doing it that week? And usually it's not that. I mean, we can't even plan that far in advance. It's who's doing it today and who's doing it tomorrow. And then we've got to factor in work. And we've got to factor in all the things we need to do around the house. We factor in our responsibilities at Journey. We factor all that into our schedule. And all of a sudden, we have no time left. And we struggle with how do we get everything happening at one time and And so then we begin thinking about, well, can we plan better? And some of you are great planners. Can we schedule better? Sometimes we think, well, you know, Jake's going to be driving a car here. Fair warning for everybody out there. He'll be driving soon. He can take some of the responsibility of transportation. And yet that brings in a whole other list of issues to a parent's brain, right? We all are busy. I rarely run into a person who says, you know what I need? I need more stuff to do. Does anybody feel that way? If you do, please come see me after. I have stuff for you to do. Rarely do I ever find anybody. Okay, you're up, Knox. I got you, man. I'll put you to work. Or Diesel, sorry. Because I had Knox, Diesel. Rarely do I find somebody looking for stuff to do. But what I also find is that we have, as a people and as a nation, have become addicted to something that is, con- is not only making this problem worse, it 
in and of itself, beyond making us busier, is making our minds less effective to evaluate what is happening in the world. Because we in our nation have more options to be entertained than any other nation in the world. Not only can we be entertained when we're at home, we can be entertained when we're at work. Some of us, you shouldn't be, but some of you are entertained on the way to work, right? We've got our phones. We can pull up whatever episodes we've missed. We can read whatever spoilers we need to read. We can just catch up on Facebook. And the reality is that many of us are immune to how much time we spend disengaging from the real world to be engaged in entertainment. Now, before any of you start regretting terribly even getting up this morning and coming because this is not a fun topic, let me just say entertainment in and of itself is not good, nor is it bad. I like entertainment. At times, we need entertainment. There are so many stressors in this world. God not only said you need to have a Sabbath, but he gave us so many tools for us to be able to step away from some of the difficult things in this world. Storytelling has been one of the most important aspects, not only of Christianity, but humanity from the very beginning. As we read through scripture, what we read are a collection of stories that have been told and were passed down before there were written languages Mouth to ear, mouth to ear for generations. We are fantastic storytellers. Some of the television shows we watch, the movies that we watch, some of you, it's reading books or listening to Audible. The stories that people are able to tell are engaging. And they're not just engaging, they fill us sometimes with hope and other times with dread. The ability to tell a good story is the ability to take a person, touch, touch their emotions And separate them from whatever they're dealing with. So at that moment, the only thing that exists is that story. We start very young with our children telling them stories. We have the books. We read or sing songs for our kids. They did a lot of veggie tales early on. Not so much. If you've got young kids now, I'm sorry you missed that. Not so sorry, but... Story is so important to us. And it is one of the largest revenue bringers in our entire nation is the ability to tell a good story. So what I don't want to do is enter into this conversation and say that you should be at home reading your Bible every free minute that you're awake. Because if you do that, you will be miserable and no one will want to be around you. I don't want to begin by saying that all entertainment is bad because entertainment, like many other things, like money, for example, is neither good nor evil. But how we use it and its effect on us can very much be good or evil. So as we look through this, I want you to know that the potential danger that we're talking about today is that our entertainment-saturated culture can often put us in real danger. If you're following along on version, we've got notes that you can uh, follow on your screen or you can open your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew 25 today. Um, we're going to get there in just a minute. The truth is that choosing to be entertained is neither good or bad, but you have to have time to rest and relax. But if we don't watch what we, how we spend our time, we will find that our time begins to control us. There's only so much time in a day. What do you tell me? What do you have to accomplish in a day? Just shout it out. School, work, sleep, laundry, unstuff, cooking. What else? Practicing. Getting kids to do their homework. Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? Some of you have a lot of homework. It's unbelievable how much homework you have. Yeah, I I mean, we fill up lots and lots of time with stuff. So I put together what is an average adult amount of time based on different studies. What is, how does an average adult, now children are a little bit different, but you can just about swap work and school because it's almost, for most people, a similar time commitment. But if we look at an average uh, American adult, and they're going to spend just under, interestingly enough, just under eight hours a day in work. 
probably because you're supposed to take a break, you're supposed to take a lunch, and you're not supposed to work uh, that whole time. But just under eight hours a day you're going to spend. Every adult needs, and though some of you would disagree with me, needs about eight hours of sleep. Now, how many hours in a day are there? Very good. You're awake. So far, we've accounted for how many? Sixteen. That leaves how many? Eight hours. Now, in that eight hours, you still have to take a shower. You still have to eat. You still have to do the things around the house like laundry or you have to do maintenance or mow the grass or or whatever. You still have things you have to do then around your house. It's time for you to be entertained. It's time for you to relax. So of that eight hours that you have that you're not either working or sleeping... On average, an average American adult will spend somewhere between three and five of those hours every day watching television. Now, I'm not going to go around the room and ask how many of you is that that applicable to. Because my guess is that there's a lot of us that, that probably would say, five, that's it? Just five? Some of you, conscientious, would say, oh, no, I'm, I'm at two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> In that time, we don't have a whole lot of time to spend doing things that are important. In that eight hours that you have taken, that we've now dropped for some to about three hours left in the day, still remembering you still have to take a shower, you still have to drive to and from work, you still have to go pick up the kids, you still have to do all the other things you have to do, about half an hour to 40 minutes of your day will be spent actually socializing, interacting with somebody else in a non necessary way necessary way being well you have to interact with people at work most of you i hope have to interact with people in some way at work but i mean choosing to actually interact with someone else about 30 to 40 minutes a day is about all we spend now i don't mean necessarily you know facebooking facebooking tends to fall on the entertainment side let's be honest some of our friends, we, we're friends with them because we just like to watch the show that is their life. But we don't spend a whole lot of time on the things that can really grow us. If we are followers of Jesus and our worldview has changed, then our priorities will change. And yet for many of us, we have taken on an onslaught of entertainment because we are trying so hard just to get through life feeling as good about ourselves and about life as possible and that's a void that entertainment often fills for us as followers of jesus how are we spending in that eight hours that we have to work with how much time are we spending with god how much time are we spending learning through his word how much time are we spending going out doing the things he says we're supposed to be about which is building up the church which is reaching outside of the church to those who don't know christ showing them the hope and the love of the gospel, how much of that time fits into our eight hours? Because if we've already taken three to five for TV and we've taken about a half an hour for socializing, that only leaves a couple of hours. And we still got to take showers, I hope, drive to and from work. Where does that time go? And the, the answer is obvious. It doesn't happen. And so many Christians today are struggling. Churches are dwindling. People are saying God is not active in this world. And yet, if we're honest, many of the ways we're spending our time are not ways that bring us into the presence of God. And an hour and a half on a Sunday cannot fill the void that has happened for the other six days of the week. Now, some of you know this, and maybe all of you know this, because you've experienced what it's like to truly spend time with Jesus, and it is so much more relaxing and lifting and encouraging than anything you'll ever find on a screen. Again, my goal is not to say we shouldn't be on screens, but what I know is this, that how we spend our time will determine the kind of life that we live, will it not? How you spend your time is determining how you live your life. So if you are not happy with your life right now, here's a very simple thing to do. How are you spending your time and how can you do it more effectively? What needs to change? Because your life is the sum of where you've spent your time. 
most of it. There are certainly things that happen to us beyond our control, but much of what we focus on is due to the amount of time we spend on our priorities. How are we spending that time? What we know is that unchecked entertainment, especially hours on end watching TV, is debilitating to anyone. Now, I'm not going to pull out a whole bunch of studies, but I want to pull out a few just because, like Truman, Truman was not aware of what was happening to him. Truman was just at the beck and call of somebody else. Oftentimes, you may be at the beck and call of someone else. In 2013, a team of researchers at at Tohoku University in Japan, led by neuroscientist Takuru Takichi, first published findings from a study in which the brains of 290 children between the ages of 5 and 18 were imaged. The kids' TV viewing habits, ranging from zero to four hours each day, were also taken into account. Takeshi and his colleagues found that the more television these kids watched, the bulkier the brains, hypothalamus, septum, sensory motor area, and visual cortex became. These areas are implicated in multiple processes, including emotional responses, arousal, aggression, and vision, respectively. In addition, the brain showed thickening in a frontal lobe region, the frontal polar cortex, that is known to lower language-based reasoning ability Testing confirmed that verbal IQ scores, which measure vocabulary and language skills, fell in proportion to the hours of TV the children watched. The changes in brain tissue occurred regardless of the child's sex or age or his or her family's income. That came from Scientific American. Our brains actually change when we get addicted to entertainment. Now, there are a whole lot of other things that happen when we become addicted. And if we're spending five-plus hours a day, then we are addicted. Let's be honest. There's no other way to look at it. And this is one of the biggest blind spots for not only Christians, but for all people around the world. Our addiction to entertainment is growing to such incredible numbers that the amount of money that's spent on ads is ridiculous. And the number of corporations that are infusing most of the ads on TV is a lot smaller than you would think. A very small number of people are doing the largest amount of advertising. It's about money. It's about looking at what are you needing. And for most of us, what we are looking for, because we live not perfect lives, are some kind of escape from the life that frustrates us, that pains us. Instead of seeing what's going on around the world, we choose to watch something that makes us laugh. At times, something that makes us cry, and at other times, makes us want to run for, for, for fear. Now, what ends up happening when we watch these shows is they end up changing the way we adapt to the world around us. And there's a reason that that happens. In an early study in 1969, just as TV was really starting to take hold, an early study showed... That if you spend one minute watching TV, your brain changes the way that it reacts to the world around it. It moves from what is called beta waves, which is that logical, engaged, interactive, I am engaged in this process, to an alpha wave, which is where you just kind of relax. You see that same change in the brain whenever you meditate, whenever you are wholly relaxed and What scientists tell us is that whenever you reach that state within your brain, you become most susceptible to suggestion from others. There's a reason that if you are paying attention, there are so many commercials in a TV show anymore. You know, there was a time when you could basically say, okay, there's going to be a commercial at, you know, the top of the hour and about at 15 minutes and about another 15 minutes and maybe 10 minutes and 10 minutes and then back at the top of the hour. And yet, if you watch TV now, you're like, man, that's another commercial. Another commercial. If you're DVRing people like we are, fast forward to another one. Fast forward through another That's a really long collection of commercials. They have found that whenever we are so focused on entertainment and that escape, we become susceptible to the suggestion of others. You know, how else can you explain some of the things that we buy? Uh, a garden hose that expands as you put water in it, but it breaks after the second time that you use it. But we'll buy 15 of them. How do we explain that? It's crazy. 
the influence that some of these things have. And again, I'm not saying that you should not ever watch TV, but you need to be aware of the effects of entertainment. And it goes beyond just that. Interestingly enough, if you are a person who likes to watch a lot of shows that scare you, watch a lot of violence on TV, they say an average child by the time they're adult will have seen over 200,000 incidents of violence through their entertainment choices. Interesting, I can't even talk right now. Interestingly enough, whenever you watch something that sparks a fight or flight instance in you, which is where the adrenaline begins to pump and you're faced with some kind of danger that is going to harm you in some way, it causes that instinct so that you will either protect yourself or you will run to get away from it. And what researchers tell us is when you watch those kinds of of shows on television, that same thing happens to you. The adrenaline begins to pump. Your heart is pumping fast. Your brain is going nuts. And you can't even explain all the different emotions that you are feeling. The problem is, is that when that is triggered, your body does not act in the way that the All of the biological chemicals that God gave you, how they're all moving you. Because your brain says, well, this is just a movie. This is just TV. And it begins to create this separation between your body's emotions and and how it operates based on what it sees and your brain's ability to navigate what is happening. And that is why... You will hear study after study saying that whenever you allow children to see lots of violence over and over again, what ends up happening is it desensitizes them because that fight or flight instinct that they will need at some point in their life has been suppressed by the brain for so long that they'll no longer respond the way that their body was meant to respond to it. This entertainment has the ability to change us and our brains without us even knowing it. Now, why is this not all over the news? Why do you think? Because the news is on TV. And they sell a lot of ads. Now, the truth is, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, I'm not asking you to stop because I'm not stopping uh, some of my entertainment choices. I enjoy entertainment. I love a good story. And anybody that can develop a character well... I'll probably watch it. But I am saying that we have to be cautious about how we prioritize our time. If we have eight hours outside of working and sleeping, we have got to use that eight hours wisely. And if we're not using that time, any time spending thinking about God, talking about God, looking at what's going on in the world looking for people who are hurting and hopeless and are needing the gospel, if we don't spend any of that time doing it, what we have done is separating ourselves from the very thing that we say is the most important to us. See, it's a blind spot for all of us because we don't always realize that it's happening. But we can be aware. Interestingly enough, we talked about reading some last week. Interestingly enough, if you swap from watching a movie or TV, to reading, your brain automatically switches back into beta waves. And those beta waves mean that you are logically thinking through what you are taking in. It means you are separating what is good and what is bad. But you're not able to do that whenever we're attached to a screen. Sometimes we are, obvious things. But many times we are not because our brains just aren't working that way. It's been said that television is an anesthetic for the pain of the modern world. It is. Let's be honest. There's some terrible things happening in the world. Terrible things happening to children. Terrible things happening to families. Terrible things happening to Christians. Terrible things happening to to people all over the world. You can't listen to the radio. You can't watch the news. You can't do that without seeing these terrible things that are happening. And if... You know, we vote here. If you haven't already voted, elections coming up here in a week. What do we hear from everybody that's involved in this election? It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Not only is it going to be bad, whoever you vote for, you're bad for voting for them. But if you vote for somebody else, you're bad for voting for them too. You're never going to win. And whoever gets in there is pretty much the end of our nation. It's the end of the world. And there's going to be an apocalyptic thing that happens and we're all going to be wiped out. 
And so what do we do? Well, we moved to Canada. Yeah, we flip on the Simpsons. Problem solved, right? Don't flip on the Simpsons. You can find something better than that. But, but that's why many of the times that we do immerse ourselves into that kind of stuff. Because it's lighter than what we're actually seeing in the world around us. And it gives us more faith in the world whenever we look at what's pretend than what is real. The truth is, we, some of us grew up believing that I could make the world what I wanted it to be. And we went into our first job interview and we told them how wonderful we were at making the world the way we wanted it to be. And we never got those jobs. Or maybe they got, we got the job and then we began to tell our bosses, but that's not the way I want things to happen. I think the world should be like this. And then we find ourselves getting an unemployment check. We, some of us grew up believing we could shape the world the way we thought it should be shaped. And the reality is the world is what it is. Now we can shape the world, but we've got to be clear on what is real and what is not. And what is real for the follower of Jesus is that God is king. He is the creator. He didn't make all of this. What he says is true. And so what he says is true, we ought to live as if it is true. How do we find out what is true? You cannot find out what God says is true if we aren't spending time with what he has already given us. It's interesting to me, anyone who says, you know, I pray, but I never hear from God. If I ask a follow-up question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? Well, not much. Well, oftentimes God does not speak to those who are not already seeking him where he's at. And we blame God for that instead of ourselves. Because this is a blind spot. Because we don't have time. Because we're spending time on everything else. See, that's why it's a blind spot. It hits us all. We often have this conversation. Deidre and I, when we first got married, talked about, well, maybe we shouldn't have a TV in the house. And I said, well, I can't can't live that way. (laughs) So we have a TV. We have a couple of them, three of them in the house. So So where do we go from here? If we, ourselves, are not focused on the things that are good, we will fall prey to the things that aren't. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. At the end of the day, we've got to be smart about how we spend our time. And Paul understood that the world around us is not neutral. There's a way to live and there's a way not to live. There's a way that looks like it is good and it is smart and it is wide. And a lot of people go that way, but it leads to destruction. And there is a way that is narrow and it is harder. And it takes intention. And you've got to be focused on your priorities. That way is narrow. But it leads to life. If we take these kinds of teachings seriously, then it changes the way we see how we spend our time. And what I know and what you know is that it is in our foolishness that joy is extinguished. In that five hours, we are not spending time building friendships. We are not spending time building a stronger marriage. We're not spending time investing in our children. We're not spending time investing in our relationship with God. We're not spending time learning. We're not spending time growing. And that's just for anybody. As Christians, we're not spending time seeing what God has to say about our current circumstances. We're not spending time looking to see how we can navigate the obstacles that are in front of us. Instead, we just escape and then we get tripped up by all the obstacles because we didn't have our eyes open looking for them to come at us. The world is not neutral. There is an enemy, and we have to be smart about how we live in it. We also have to remember what our calling is. Our calling is this, number one, to grow. Your calling as a follower of Jesus is to grow, not to stay where you are, not to escape so you'll feel better, but your calling is to grow. 
Another calling you have is to follow the teachings of Jesus. That's one of the ways that we grow. You are called to do that. Scripture is good for teaching, for reproof, for growing. You are called to follow the teachings of Jesus. We find them in Scripture. We find them in people that have spent their entire lives following Jesus and are, help us to understand some of the nuances that we can't pick up just in a cursory reading of a couple of verses. We have to follow the teachings of Jesus. Your calling is to communicate the gospel to others. If we are not communicating the gospel to others, we are missing out on the most important instruction we have from Jesus. So important, it's the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven after the resurrection. We need to communicate the gospel to others. We also need to build up the church, the body of Christ. And the reality is is that sometimes we don't have time to build up the church because we have so many other things that we need to do. As Deidre and I talk, and I know many of you do too, we talk about, well, how how do we make this all work with all of these things going on? It really does take a change in our priorities. It really at times means saying no to good things that aren't great things. It means recognizing what do we most want to see happen in our family. It's all about prioritizing. And the consequences for not being diligent about how we spend our time are really high. Matthew 25 verse 1 is a parable. It's the parable of the ten virgins. It doesn't really mean what the parable title that has been given to it actually seems to mean. But verse 25, chapter 25, verse 1, it says, And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And let me just say, the kingdom of heaven is reality for the follower of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is not just this smoke and mirrors talk. It's not just that, well, that would not be great if that were true. The kingdom of heaven is real. It is true. It is what is happening right now. It is what is going to take over all of reality one day when Jesus returns. The kingdom of heaven is real. It's much more tangible than what we see on TV, what we read in books, what we daydream about in our lives. It is reality. If we don't absolutely believe the kingdom of heaven is real, we don't absolutely believe that Jesus is real or God is real or that Jesus actually died for us. And if I'm not really sure Jesus died for me, I'm not really sure I need anybody to die for me. See, this is why we call this a blind spot. We don't think that way. But that's what our actions are saying. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Which right there sounds like an inappropriate television show, doesn't it? (laughs) Ten virgins who go out to meet the bridegroom? That does not sound like a recipe for marital success. And what's happening here? what, what What was happening in this first century Palestine area, this region is that when you would get married, it was a huge ordeal. Now, it's a huge ordeal now to us. I mean, there were big productions. But for then, it was a huge family and community ordeal. Everybody was involved in this. And so the couple would go, and they would perform the ceremony, and they would be legally married, and then they would go off together. And then the bridegroom would come, the, the, the groom would come, and he would go to the bride's home, at some time during the night, and would collect her with the, an entire party of people. Now, this would happen at night, and so they didn't have streetlights at the time. What they would do is there would be designated individuals that were supposed to light the way as they went from the bride's house to the groom's house, bringing people along with them for this huge party that would happen at the groom's house. And so these people that would be assigned were so intimate with the couple. They were their best friends. They were their family members that they were closest to. They, these are who these 10 virgins are. It was not meant to say these are 10 virgins. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't virgins. The point they were trying to say is these people were very important to the bride and the groom. And so their role was to go to the bride's house and they would stay at the bride's house until the groom came. And when he came to collect his bride, much of this is all imagery to demonstrate God's relationship with us. He's instituted that through marriage. When they would come, they had to be ready at a moment's notice to get up and go to the party. 
And so they would each have these oil lamps and they had to be prepared to make the journey. And like most celebratory journeys, they're not in a big hurry. So they have to be ready at a moment's notice. So they took their lamps. These people that were supposed to light the way took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. That means they were waiting at the bride's house. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, verse 2 tells us. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, which any of you that know anything about oil lamps means that it is worthless if you have no oil for your lamp. They could not do what they were supposed to do, light the way, go with the wedding party. Now, why did they not take the oil with them? We don't know. Text doesn't tell us. But based on the way life works, the way my life works, probably the way your life works, they probably got busy that day. They were probably getting all their outfits ready. They were probably setting up for the party. They probably had jobs they had to take care of. They still had to take care of their family, stuff around the house that had to be done. They had something going on. This was an important event. These people were important in their lives, and they were giving a role that was important in this process. Why would they not be prepared? And it's the same reason you and I often are not prepared for the biggest things in life, because of their priorities. Now, that can be solved, can it? They didn't bring any oil with them. Surely somebody's got some oil that they can have probably what they're thinking. Somebody will take care of this, even if I don't. As the bridegroom was delayed, which means he's taking his time. I don't know. He's primping or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is a bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, this was such an important event in the life of the community that those who would sell oil literally would keep their shops open late any time one of these things were happening for just this problem. So it's not like this only happened this one time. And so they would be open late and the other People in the wedding party said, listen, go, go buy some. They're open late. They know this is going on tonight. So just go, go get some. But if I give you mine, we'll all be out by the time we get where we're going. Verse 10 says, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, the reason I wanted to read this, this there's a, there are a lot of things packed into this one parable. Much of what he's talking about has nothing to do with weddings. It has everything to do with your relationship with Christ. The whole wedding ceremony, if you read through the Old Testament and you find what was the purpose of marriage, the purpose of marriage was demonst- demonstrate the relationship that you can have with God and that God wants to have with you. And so much of the symbolism of leaving one family to go to another has everything to do with, in your life, following Christ and giving him everything. And what this parable often means is that if we wait, if we're not attentive to what it means to have a relationship with Christ, if we think, you know what, I'll get to it. Or I just have too much on my plate right now to worry about my relationship with Christ. I'll eventually make that important. The day may come where we miss out completely because there will be a judgment day. As we peel back those layers, what are some of the basic principles that we pull from this parable? And it is this, we must be prepared at all times and in all things. Whenever you wait till the last minute to make a decision, the chances are it's not going to be a good decision. It's going to be an urgent decision, not a good decision. If you wait until you're ready to go and, and everything's going to be perfect. I know when we, before we had Jake, we were thinking, man, when can we afford to have a kid? And I don't know how many parents told us, well, then you'll never have a kid if you wait till then. And many of you know that's true. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves, and let's be honest. Entertainment is about making us the king of the hill. It is my pleasure, and it is my entertainment that must be had at all costs. When we get addicted to entertainment, 
and yet we have neighbors who struggle. We have friends who need help, but we're busy being entertained. Entertainment's neither good nor bad, but when it becomes the priority, it not only changes the way we think, it takes away all our time to focus on what we believe is really best. But we do have the opportunity to change that. What do we learn from this? We have to be prepared at all times. We have to remember that our calling and our purpose is to grow as a disciple and to lead other people to become disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus and you believe kingdom of heaven is real, hell is real, judgment day is coming, Jesus is going to return, people either will know Jesus or they will not. And they will be separated one day. If you believe that, it must change the way you live within this world. And our time with Christ has to take priority. And what I know is true is that when we become obsessed with our own lives, we fail not only to work with God, we fail to see God's power work in us when he is no longer our priority. Here's why. I've written four things down. There's more than four, but one is this. Addiction to being entertained leads to complacency. Addiction to being entertained leads to complacency. It means we get lazy. Those alpha waves feel good. It's why meditation feels good. It's why sitting down in a still, quiet place, watching a sunrise or a sunset, or hearing just a gentle breeze in the trees, that's why that is just so life-giving for so many. It is a good feeling that washes over you. I'm just relaxing. Some of you don't even remember the last time you felt that way. It's a wonderful feeling. But when we allow entertainment to be that, it leads us to complacency because there is no lack of entertainment around you. I remember the TV would not come on when I was a kid until about 6 or 7 in the morning. You just had snow where you had those color bars. And then around 11 o'clock, 11.30, definitely by midnight, there was like the, you know, you would get a flag waving on the screen for about 10 minutes and then you would, it was gone. But you literally can watch TV or be entertained every minute of every day. I'm binge watching Netflix is such a, a thing. I mean, I, you can watch a whole season. It's awesome. I love it. But if you watch a whole season today and then a whole season tomorrow and then a whole season next day, you're going to lose your job. And you're going to find yourself that you're not happy in life. Because it leads us to a place of complacency. Second thing is addiction to being entertained makes us the center of attention. Everyone else exists for my entertainment. And it will eventually go outside of your time in front of the TV into your relationships with other people. We expect others that their role in this world is to bring me pleasure. You know that's true. You see it. You know people who treat you like that. That you only exist for their pleasure. And it is frustrating. But this is what happens when we become addicted to entertainment. That we start using other people for that. Third thing, addiction being entertained will always distract you from your calling. Always distract you from your calling. Because we will fail to see what our role and our work is. Because that's harder than being entertained. When we can be entertained forever. Fourth thing is this. Addiction to being entertained, it changes our brain chemistry and ultimately our priorities. Ultimately our priorities. Any major social issue that needs to be pushed through a populace begins in its entertainment industry. Why do you think that there is so much integration between many of our politicians and our entertainment celebrities? We put so much money into that. Because they are one of the most influential groups in the world today. Because we relax, it's just a show. And we become susceptible to the messages that are constantly fed us. We have to be aware of these things. So what is the answer to this? Burn your TVs. Throw them out of the house. Throw them out into the streets. Get a sledgehammer. Bust them up, right? Write your congressman. Tell him to cancel Netflix. No, it's not the answer. The answer is told us by God, and that is this. Imitate God. Isn't that simple? Imitate God. Jesus, one of the things I love 
about some of the, the later documentaries about Jesus is that it gave us something that uh, the church held away for so long, and they gave Jesus emotion. And so when some of the shows about Jesus came out by, through secular groups, I, I actually loved them. Now, they weren't all theologically correct, and, but what they did was they humanized Jesus. We cannot take away his deity, but they humanized Jesus. Jesus laughed. Jesus had fun. Jesus sat and watched people and just busted out laughing over them. Some of the very same things we laugh at. I just I cannot imagine that Peter was walking through a doorpost, grabbed his foot on the doorpost, fell forward into the house that Jesus went, oh, that is terrible, Peter. I just can't imagine that that's how Jesus was. And y'all don't laugh. That's not good. Don't laugh at him. I just imagine he threw back and laughed. I'm not saying that we don't need to be entertainment, we don't, that we shouldn't have a good time, but we need to imitate God. Ephesians 5 says this, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. In other words, watch what comes into us and what comes out of us. Every little thing really does matter. John MacArthur said this. We were created to long for satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy. And those desires are good in and of themselves. But our fallen world tries to meet those desires through money, romance, fame, and other earthly pleasures. Yet temporal things can never bring lasting satisfaction to a heart that was created to find its ultimate joy in God. That's where we find our ultimate joy, not in escaping. We find our ultimate joy in being with him. Here's what I would leave you with today. And I don't have a list that I'm going to give you. This is where you have to answer for yourselves. And God sometimes gives us different lists. But do your priorities please God? Well, first, we've got to analyze what our priorities are. And it is possible we don't even know what our priorities are. We may be so built into habitual action that we don't even know what our priorities are anymore. You need to have a constant conversation with somebody to help you know, what are my real priorities? What are the people around you who are watching you? What do they see as your priorities in you? Do our priorities please God as followers of Jesus? That has to be important to us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, as long as we're here in this place, we are away from the Lord. We're not in his presence in the same way that we will be one day. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, this is what Paul was saying. I would rather, I'd rather die and be with Jesus, but right now I'm supposed to be here. Verse 9 says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to do what? To do what? Is that the ultimate aim of our lives is to please him? So how do we unpack this? This is, let me just, I'm going to ask you two questions you can think through. One, what do you want most for your life? Do you want to get to the end of your life and say, man, you remember those TV shows? They were so awesome. Because you spent five of your eight hours watching television instead of, building strong relationships with real people right in front of you. Is this the life that you want to live? Will you get to the end and say, this was, this was what I was placed here to do? What do you want most for your life? For some of you with children, that is a hard answer. For all of you, it can be a hard answer. Those of you with children, this makes it easier. What do you want most for your kids? Is what you want most for your kids that they can navigate a remote? That they, can, they really know how to work their phone? My guess is, no, you want more than that. Now, you don't have to worry about that. They're already going to be able to navigate a remote and the phone a lot better than you can. 
But what do you want most for them? My guess is if you begin to think about what do you want most for them, you may change what you want most for yourself as well. Because we have a tendency for those we care most about to really want what is best for them even more so than for ourselves. Sometimes when we, we figure out what is it that I want most for them, we change what we want most for ourselves. What I know, and, and as I, I close this out, I know this is not a popular topic. I know that not everybody likes to hear these things. I don't. I could literally sit in front of a TV 24 hours a day with, a, with the right content. I mean, I could literally just veg out and have some snacks and just I could just take it all in I, I I'm easily addicted to entertainment but there's a point that I stop and say this is not what God made me for and at the end of the day me by myself in front of a television is not a fulfilled life even though it calls at times just relax escape it's been a rough day there's a lot of bad stuff going on just let's just watch something The focus of our time will always determine the direction of our lives. Is your life moving in a direction that you want it to continue? You might want to change the focus of your time. You might want to look at what is your priority and the way you schedule your downtime, especially if you have a stressful job. Are there things that can bring more life to you than trying to escape? And the answer I believe to that is yes. But ultimately, it is not in taking walks in the wood, woods. It's not in taking a long drive, although that is, I love taking long drives. It's in following in the steps of Jesus. It's in building your relationship with God. And it's in knowing that you are at the place that he created you to be. That is where joy is found. So I encourage us all to evaluate where are we spending our time. And is it the most effective way? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that in our failings that you are always there to offer grace. God, I thank you for so many wonderful things that are happening in this world and wonderful people that bring real life into this world. I pray that you would help us to be that type of a person. On those days that we just want to escape, we just want to withdraw, we just want to be there by ourselves with our favorite shows or our favorite games or whatever, that we would be able to honestly say, my priority is you. I need to spend my time in the places that you tell me to. God, I know there are some here that are living very difficult lives or in very difficult circumstances. And escape feels like the only thing that allows you to survive. But I pray we would not be people who escape, but we would find our hope and we would be renewed in you. As we are renewed in you, I pray that we would have the opportunity, just as we had many last night and many will have today, to go out and to build relationships with people that need to know Christ, that right now are looking for someone to bring them hope, that they would do anything to get out of the life that they're in. And right now, they need to hear the good news of the gospel, that no matter what, Christ died for them. They can be forgiven and can walk with God. God will direct their steps. He will direct their path into the place where they can live in true joy. Father, I pray for those in this room and and they're getting frustrated and they're wanting to give up because they're not finding the joy that we constantly talk about. Pray that you would open their eyes to the things that have become obstacles to your ability to infuse them with power. Lord, I pray that we as a church would not be about our events or would not be about our programs. We wouldn't be about the songs or the sermons, but we would be, we would be inspired and fired up about the gospel. That we would live our lives in a way that it has the greatest opportunity to spread. That we would do that with our finances, that we would do that with our time. We would go to the people that no one else is going to and we would say, you matter to me. God, I pray that we would not only be your disciples, but we would be good representatives. I pray that we would all be able to stand in your presence one day and for you to look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Open our eyes to the things that we need to see. Open our hearts to the things that we need to feel. But let us close our eyes and close our hearts to the things that are bringing us 
on a path of destruction instead of towards you. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are constantly there. Even when I choose to escape instead, you are always there waiting, knocking, waiting for me to open. Lord, let us be your people in this time and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.